0: Welcome to the LifeHouse Church Podcast. LifeHouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Hey man, Give someone a high five and you can have a seat. And so last Sunday, we shared with you the vision for 2024 at LifeHouse. The vision is better. Everyone say better. better. The vision in 2024 at LifeHouse is better. And this is found um, from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. This was an account that the, that the gospel writer Luke shared about two people, Mary, Martha. And he was sharing um, about an account he saw, but to us is actually two ways that we see as living and being in relationship with Jesus. Let's go ahead and and read that, Luke chapter 10. It says, as as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted. Everyone say "Say distracted. (laughs) Was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, 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 for those of you who know the Brady Bunch, and y'all are that old. Um, The Lord answered, you are worried. Everyone say worried. Worried. Everyone say upset. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And last week, we talked about the difference between the Martha life and the Mary life. Martha was upset, worried, and distracted while Jesus was right there in the room. But Mary chose what was better and instead chose to sit at the feet of Jesus, listen, be attentive, focused, and with Jesus. And what we challenged you last week to do is to say in 2024, I want to choose what is better. I want to choose a life of being with Jesus in 2024 instead of being distracted, upset, and worried like the culture is training us to do. So there's two ways of doing, of doing life. Can we go to that slide, Aaron. Yes, Martha, culture, is telling you, be up, be distracted, worried, and upset. Mary is, is the kingdom way of life, listening, attentive, and at the feet, and with Jesus. Here's the truth. The better way is with Jesus. The better way is being with him. And when we say being with Jesus, and what the better way is, it means being in the presence of Jesus. And here's the thing. This just doesn't have to be a moment in a service or a moment in your quiet time. This can actually be a lifestyle. And that's what we are saying. The better way of, of living in the kingdom of God is realizing that being with Jesus doesn't just have to be in your quiet time or doesn't just have to be in a service. It can actually be a posture for your life. And, and, and so we are talking about better. And today I, I wanna talk to you though about barriers to this better way. There, there are barriers. I don't know if you know this, how hard it is to live with with a deep awareness that Jesus is with you. Like I said last week, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How many of you know that many times we feel like Jesus has left us? He ain't here, he ain't nowhere to be found. He's done gone, which in some ways he has gone to heaven. He said, it's better that I go so I can send you the Holy Spirit to be with you. And That's one of the things that, that the Holy Spirit reminds us of is that Jesus is always with us. His presence is there. He hasn't hasn't left us, but there are barriers to living this better way that I want to talk to you about today because it it is true that when you are with Jesus, people can notice you've been with him. People can notice a calmness. They can notice a supernatural peace. They can notice a joy they can notice a different way of lifestyle. Like, it should maybe challenge you if those that once knew you in your BC days, and when I say BC days, before Christ days, there should be a check in your spirit if those who knew you in your BC days don't know you any any differently than in your AC days, after Christ. Right? Why? Because when you've been with Jesus, when you've experienced his goodness, there is no doubt a change in how you live. There's a change in your vibe. This, this doesn't mean you're perfect. This doesn't mean you always say the right thing, but there's something about you that changes. And I want to share with you an account real quick. Acts, Acts chapter 4, the context here is you've got Peter and John, who Jesus has died, resurrected, resurrected. He sent the Holy Spirit, and Peter and John are walking one day. They see a guy that is crippled. The crippled guy asks them, can you give, give me money? Peter and John say, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And just remember, Peter was the same one that couldn't even stand before a servant girl and proclaim the name of Jesus. He was the one that, was, that had the big mouth, little action. Right? But then you see, when Peter spent time with with Jesus, he got filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter walked with a different courage, a different authority, a different power, a different vibe. And you actually see, so Peter and John, through the name of Jesus, pray over this crippled man. He gets healed, and then this crippled man goes to the religious people, and he says, I have been healed, and the religious people do what religious people do. They want to shut down the move of God. This is why some churches can and will never grow because people are scared of new. People can be so nervous. of like, what, to, what about our tradition? What about the ways we've always done things? And that is why you see the Pharisees in direct opposition, not to just Jesus, but the disciples many times. It's because the way of Jesus was actually rattling their old religious system and way of doing things. But, but you see this here, Peter and John, Pray over this guy. So then the religious people, they're like, we're gonna put him in prison. This dude got healed. But they got him, they talked to him, they were gonna put him in prison. And let me just share with you what the writer of Luke, which is the gospel writer Luke, says. He says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men, with no special training in the scriptures, they also recognized that these two men had been with Jesus. These religious people, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, when, when, when they saw them, they realized, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. There was a distinct difference in Peter and John, and people could notice it and see it. And this is what we are inviting you into this year is that as you prioritize choosing what is better is living in the presence of God, I believe people will start to see it in your life. Where you can walk through hell and walk through flames and you won't even smell like smoke. Stuff that would normally sink people actually raises you. It's because you have a deep awareness that God is with you, he's for you. And this is what living in the presence of Jesus does and what we are inviting you into is the better way. I love what the psalmist says. He says, better is one day. Everyone say one day. day. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. What a powerful prayer to pray because some some of you find yourself struggling to want to choose what is better. And you're even praying, God, give me a desire for choosing what is better. And I believe one of the most important prayers you can play is what the psalmist prayed. Lord, better is one day in your courts than a thousand days with drugs. You can actually, you can use this as a prayer. like, Lord, better is one day with you than a thousand days with toxic relationships. Better is one day. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand days with alcohol better is one day in your course than a thousand days with anxiety. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand days with anger. Better is one day in your court than a thousand days with shopping. That's my wife in here. <laughs> better. <laughs> better is one day <laughs> with Jesus than a thousand days with gambling. Better is one day with Jesus than a thousand days with ungodly sexual perversion. Better is one day with Jesus than a thousand days with lying. Are you see, you can actually train your palate to desire what is better by praying. Better is one day, Lord, with you, than a thousand days with anything besides you. Isn't it crazy how actually what is toxic can become comf- can become comfortable? It's crazy, we live in a culture of comfort. Comfort can actually be toxic. People are actually realizing the data, even on our bodies, how comfort is killing us. Something called comfort food. Yeah, you'll be comfortable in a coffin the more you eat the comfort food. <laughs> even the fact that our lives are being set up for comfort. Think of how much we sit. We're sedentary. We, we just sit and how it's like if the body isn't challenged, it doesn't grow. If the body isn't put in intentional places of discomfort, it cannot grow. Very rarely do you grow. Your mind, your heart, your body, your spirit, does it grow when it is surrounded by comfort? And that is why we have to train our palate to want what is better, because even when we want what is better, that doesn't mean easier. But it does many times mean better. But there's barriers to this better. Can I get an amen? I want to talk to you about four barriers to this better way of being with Jesus. The first barrier is this. You have a culturally built definition of success. If you do not view being with Jesus as what ultimate success is for your life, you will not prioritize it. Because here's the thing. Many of us want to add Jesus, sprinkle Jesus on as a topping instead of being the main dish. I love you, and if it's your first time at LifeHouse, welcome to our church. We love you. We love to welcome you. We we are a church that loves to have fun but is serious about following Jesus. Because we believe people are tired of half-baked following Jesus. People are tired of viewing Jesus as something you add on to your life instead of being the center of your life. And, 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 but... The, so, so what, what I'm saying is, is that we, we have an allergic reaction to that. Because Jesus did not say, I have come to be an add-on. He did not say, if you can fit me into your life, I'll do it. He said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And we believe that he is the better way, that we are, as we follow him, we actually become more of, of who God is. God created us to be in his image. And so that that is why it's like you have to ask yourself, what do I view in my life as ultimate success? Because I think all of us have this ingrained desire to want to be successful. We have this ingrained desire to want to be purposeful and to want to have value and worth. And there's so many things in our world and in our culture that are saying the same thing Jesus said, follow me. When Jesus said follow me, he wasn't saying anything else that everything else wasn't saying. You have politicians, you have ways of life, you, you have jobs, you have a lot of things saying, follow me. And if we don't switch what success is, then we will we will not be able to step into this better way that Jesus invites us to of living in his presence. Because here's the thing: success in the kingdom of God is countercultural. Because one of the things Jesus did is he redefined what blessed was. Because before Jesus, blessed was if you had stuff, if you had status, if you had com- comfort. If, 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 if you had all the stuff on the outside, that is somebody would call you blessed. And just think of how that has invaded our minds, hearts, and spirits. Like even whenever we pray, God bless America. What are we really meaning by bless Are we saying God bless us according to how you define blessed? Or are we saying God bless America based on what we think blessed means? Y'all, are y'all hearing me? Because Jesus redefined blessed not as what you have, but who you are. The kind of person you are becoming. That's why Jesus, when he was giving what we call the B attitudes, which is the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Do you know how countercultural that that was? And what Jesus was saying is blessed are those who have room for me. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Are y'all hearing how how blessed is not what you have, blessed is who you're becoming? And I just believe that we need to make sure we have the ladder of success on the right wall because we can climb the ladder of success and realize that it actually was on the cultural wall instead of on the kingdom wall. And you can build a life that is culturally successful and kingdom poor. This is why I'm challenging us because if you don't view Jesus' presence and him being with you has the ultimate win and the ultimate success. You will, see, and, and this is the thing if you don't forget following Jesus, right? You will use Jesus to get what you want. You will use him. And I'm just saying that because that's what I did for many years. I'm not bashing you. I'm just saying this was me. I wanted to use Jesus as a good luck charm to get my dreams. Instead of viewing him as the one I submit my dreams to and interpret even what my dreams should be through. This is why we need to read the Gospels, fam. It's why we need to read them. Because we will take Jesus and put success, define it by what our culture says, instead of saying, Jesus, what do you define success to be outside of the culture we live in? Here's the final line, blessed is being with Jesus, y'all. And one of the barriers you're going to have to examine and realize is this in my life? Is do I see being with Jesus as something I want to add on or something that I want to make the goal of my life? The posture of my heart. Second barrier perfectionism. Perfectionism. How, how can this be a barrier to us being with Jesus? Because we can sometimes, and some of y'all have these personalities. Some of some of us don't, but you will, you would define yourself as a perfectionist. Where if things ain't perfect, you have a hard time focusing. Things ain't perfect, you got a hard time getting things done. Things ain't perfect, you you struggle. Right? I mean, just just think how many times, right? Like I, maybe this is just me. I'll go online wanting to watch something, looking for the perfect show. And 45 minutes in, trying to find the perfect show, I don't want to watch any show. Because I'm so tired of trying to find the perfect show. You're like, I just watched a show trying to find a show. I made a show. I am a show. Well, think about it. You go to the gym and you want the perfect workout. So you go to the gym. And you got your phone and you're looking at YouTube videos, you're like, oh, what am I gonna do today? I don't wanna do this, I'm my shoulder kind of hurts. don't wanna do that. 45 minutes looking for the perfect workout, you just missed all the time you had to work out trying to find the perfect workout. Are y'all feeling me? Instead of just like, I'm not gonna let perfection get in the way of progress, I don't wanna let perfection get in the way of progressing. But this is sometimes how we can view our relationship with God where we can sometimes think everything has to be perfect in order for me to feel and sense that Jesus is with me. Almost as if Jesus wouldn't want to be near me or Jesus would not want to be with me unless I am perfect. Can I just hopefully take that shackle and that weight off of your shoulders today? Jesus is not afraid of your your imperfections. He actually welcomes them. It is actually your imperfection that draws him to you. So the very thing you think disqualifies you actually qualifies you. Why? Not because you qualify yourself, but because of what Jesus did on the cross in your place and for your sin and his subsequent resurrection that he makes you qualify. And this is good news because some of you struggle to sense the presence of God because you don't feel worthy. Can I just let you know you'll never feel worthy? And you never will be worthy, but Jesus deems you worthy. That's the good news of the gospel. Is he gives you something you cannot earn or you cannot attain. And that's simply one of the huge barriers we have to us, like actually having the presence of Jesus at our work, at our at our jobs, on our car rides, with our kids, at at home cooking, at home doing whatever we're doing, having a sense and awareness of His presence. Is we think it has to be perfect. Perfection can get in the way of so many things. Intimacy. Where are my husbands and wives at? Not trying to get into y'all's business. How many of y'all trying to create 70 degrees and sunny? Trying to be intimate. (laughs) Don't let perfection get in the way of progress. (laughs) I'm just saying, whenever you could be paralyzed by perfection, maybe pause and say, this isn't a moment for perfection. This could be an opportunity for progress. You hear what I'm saying? Here's the thing. Jesus' perfection doesn't demean us. It should inspire us. Because so, I hear so many people say, well, Jesus wasn't perfect. Or, not say, excuse me. Can we take that back? I don't want that going on any YouTube video or anything. Pastor John, speaking heresy, he said Jesus wasn't perfect. That's not true. I did say that, but I didn't mean to say that. Actually, what I meant to say... Jesus was perfect, but just because Jesus was perfect, well, what I hear people say is like, well, Jesus was perfect. I'll never be perfect. Facts. You're stating the truth. But because you won't be perfect doesn't mean that then is used as an excuse to then do stupid, imperfect things. Because then we're just abusing the grace that Jesus gives us not his perfection should not demean us, it should actually inspire us. And it should say the same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus now lives in me. The same Spirit that perfected Jesus, the same Spirit that Jesus lived by, is the same Holy Spirit we have access to. And so it will will actually inspire us to say, now that I have grace, I'm not gonna go and do what I want. Grace is gonna actually inspire me because now I have power and strength to live in a way that I could not live unless Jesus gave him the strength and power to and set the example for us. So I wanna challenge our perfection because I'm, I'm telling you, like that will be a barrier to you being aware of the presence of God. Number three, lack of a holy curiosity. Lack of a holy curiosity. John, what do I mean by a holy curiosity? What I simply mean by that is like, So one of the things in Christian culture, if you've been in Christian culture for any amount of time, how many of you have heard heard these words, quiet quiet time? Right, where it seems like in the Christian culture, the climax and the mountaintop of holiness and spirituality is having a quiet time with Jesus. And I just think of how many people know that, but struggle to practice that, and it has been a consistent source of, like, guilt because they don't have a consistent quiet time. And then we get into shame, and we think, well, if I really love Jesus and I don't spend time time with him, and how can I really love Jesus if I don't have a quiet time, and da 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 and, and I'm not— and, and listen, quiet times with Jesus are vital. They are important. If you do them, I encourage you to keep on doing them. If you don't, don't do them. It's a great invite from the Lord to be able to spend time with him in, the quiet, in his quiet presence, reading the word and praying and receiving words from him. That is special times. But I want to let you know that there is more to relationship with God than a quiet time. there is more to that cuz i believe if we get in this quiet time unquiet time it, it kind of becomes we, we and i've spoken about this before it becomes this sacred and secular mentality where i can only hear and experience the presence of god if i am in my prayer closet having a quiet time and then you de-spiritualize every other 23 and a half hours of your life so then you have quiet time where i'm with jesus and 23 and a half hours where i'm in hell Ten hours at my job, I'm in hell. Four hours, I'm in, jo- I'm in hell with my family. Three hours, I'm in hell. And and we despiritualize 98% of our lives, and we just spiritualize the quiet time. And what in my heart is when we're saying better, what is better is being in the presence of Jesus. That just doesn't have to be a moment; it can be a lifestyle. Is that we can actually sense and be aware of and invite Jesus into every moment of our lives. Cuz I just think of how many things we keep Jesus out from. That Jesus is with you. It's not that he's not there. We're just not aware. And that's and so so let me give you an example. What is something you love to do that you could hear hear my hear my reasoning? You could do with Jesus. What's a hobby? What's something you enjoy? But instead of saying, like, I'm gonna go and, you know, that's just for for me, right? Like, I love working out. I know you can't tell. I'm fasting though, so I'm losing every bit of muscle that I had right now. But I love working out, and I remember as I learned this principle. Instead of saying I'm like I'm going to the gym without Jesus, I started to to literally say me and Jesus are going to the gym today. And I actually started to use my gym time not thinking I'm away from Jesus, but actually like he's my workout partner. You're like, "John, you are weird." I might be. Scratch that. I am. But I can't tell you how many words from God I have received as I've invited him to work out with me. I got my phone out, taking down notes. Many times my best sermon thoughts come from the gym. But I just think of how many of you, you have something you love and you haven't invited Jesus in to do it with you. Many of you love to like garden or you love to play music or you love to read or you love to, some of y'all love to run. I'm going to pray for you. Run. I run from dogs that are chasing me, right? But maybe you garden, maybe you cook, maybe you play golf. Like, and instead of, you need Jesus when you golf. Nothing makes me want to cuss more than golfing. (laughs) I'm like, you white ball. Comes like happy Gilmore, you know. You need Jesus when you golf and when you go to Walmart. Especially Walmart. And, and in, instead of not, like, instead of thinking you're not doing it with Jesus, what if you started to actually think Jesus is with me as I go and do this? Think of how much more confidence you would have, boldness you would have, peace you would have, joy you would have, hope you would have, perspective you would have. Because, y'all, Jesus said he wants to be with you 24-7. This is a way that we can actually live in. And this is one of the things spiritual disciplines do, because we've totally misinterpreted spiritual disciplines. Even saying that word, some of y'all like feel like it's a weight. Y'all, spiritual disciplines are ways to open up our awareness to God and his presence. Prayer and reading your Bible and going to church on Sundays, doing these disciplines are not religious boxes to check. They are disciplines we do to help our awareness grow of God, his presence, and his spirit. And the more we view it as boxes to check instead of invitations from him to be aware of him, we will miss. See, see, here's here's the thing, right? Spiritual disciplines, the question is this. What could God do if I... And and this is what I want you to see. Like this is Jesus inviting us, right? So what could God do if I took 15 minutes each day and read the Bible first before I read my email? What could God do if I limited my social media activity to 10 minutes a day? What could God do if I, see, do do you see how this is different than do this or else? Because spiritual disciplines don't save you. Jesus saved you. It was his work on the cross in your place and for your sin. His death, his resurrection from death that we receive by grace through faith, meaning you can't earn it, it's simply it's simply received. That is what saves you. Spiritual disciplines though form you. It's the difference between being being justified and sanctified. These are Christian words. Justification simply means Like Jesus justified you by what he did for you. Sanctification is the ongoing, everyone say ongoing. Ongoing work of the Holy Spirit conforming you and transforming you to be like Jesus. And one of the main ways he does that is through disciplines. Disciplines are not weights or burdens, they are invitations from the Lord. And one of the passions of my heart with our church is that we would see following Jesus as not I have to, but an I get to. The reason why we many times have an I have to is because we don't understand grace. We don't understand what Jesus actually did, but when we understand what he did, then it becomes a motivator for us to have a want to instead of an I have to. So what could God do with the third barrier, like I said, I don't even know what it is, I'm really tired. Uh, the, the third barrier was lack of a holy curiosity. Cur- so what if you got curious about trying some new things with Jesus? What if you just got curious? Like, you know what? Instead of running by myself, what if I run with Jesus? And Jesus is my partner, running, running, running partner. Like, try, try some new things. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. There are lots of things that I have tried to be like. How can I connect with Jesus? And it just doesn't work. And instead of condemning myself, I'm like, okay, let me try something else. Are y'all here in my heart? All right. Last one here. So first off, like I said, is you have a culturally built definition of success. Number two, perfectionism. Number three, lack of a holy curiosity. Number four, and I wanna dive into this one today in in closing, number four is shame. Number four, shame. Can you say the word shame? If there is one barrier that I believe is the strongest barrier to have us have, have living in an awareness of God's presence, choosing in 2024, what is better. I believe at the root of a lot of what we deal with is this word, shame. I wanna read, Bill Gaultier said this. He said, shame is the most painful and destructive of all emotional states. To feel ashamed is to believe yourself to be bad and rejected for your badness. You think you are worthless and unlovable. You reject yourself and expect others, including God, to reject you. You look at what is wrong with you or what seems wrong and say, that's me and I am bad. In other words, when you're ashamed, you're identifying yourself with a bad part of you or bad thing that was done to you. Shame, somebody that struggles with shame has a hard time differentiating between what you did and who you are. And this is something that many Christians, as we are growing and learning and training in him, don't understand can be a huge barrier to why we feel alone and God doesn't like us much of the time. It's because at the root in in our hearts and spirits and what has taken root, the devil has tried to lock in, is this idea when you do bad things, you are bad. When Jesus has a different thought. Jesus doesn't say you're bad. He will call you out for maybe doing a bad thing, but Jesus differentiates between what you do and who you are. We struggle with that. Shame will say this. I should be or do better. Can tell you how many times I meet with people and they're telling me about their walk with the Lord and it's like, I should do better. I need to do this more. I need to do that more. And I love the sentiment. I love the heart. But very rarely do I hear someone that is, that is struggling saying back to me who God says they are. Many times they are more focused on their badness instead of God's goodness. And I just think this word shame, we have to address it because it will be one of the greatest barriers to us living in, dwelling in, choosing what is better in 2024. Even go back to the garden, Genesis chapter, chapter two. One of the things that was said about Adam and said about Eve when they were in the garden was this. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no what? Shame. Being in the presence of God eliminated shame. Do you realize that? They were with God in the garden. And when they were with God in the garden, they says that they were naked and they felt no shame, meaning they did not feel that inward internal, I'm bad, I'm not worthy of being in the presence of God. Think about how many of us have this feeling deep down inside of us, I'm not worthy to be loved. I'm not worthy for Jesus to bless me. I'd be glad because you're looking at a lot of what you've done instead of who God says you are. So let me ask you these questions, right? And these are questions I'm going to share a little bit with you that I had to wrestle with. How do you think Jesus thinks about you? How do you think Jesus looks at you? A.W. Tozer said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I've shared this, this, this before, but a couple, a couple years ago, I went through a, as I look back on it, I was depressed, I was angry, I was mad. I was really at a wall in my faith. And I went to, to these retreats through a specific ministry called soul shepherding. And one of the things that they were consistently digging into as I was wrestling through and digging up stuff inside of my heart, mind, and spirit was they were wanting to get to how did I think Jesus looked at me? Because I didn't realize how many years I had dealt with shame. And just to share a little bit about that, shame is like how you feel, how, how, you know, how you see yourself. But one of the things they described shame as is anger turned in on yourself. And I just remember as I was sharing with this counselor what I was walking through, he said, John, you are dealing with shame. Because at, at that time, you know, COVID happened. The church had shut down. I had built my identity on the church growing and wanting it to be successful. And when there was no one showing up, I didn't feel like a success. And I went into, I mean, I had so much stress. I like, i couldn't even turn my head to the left. I had so much pressure in, in my shoulders. I just felt the weight of the world. And, and I just remember pouring out my heart to him. And then I Two at this time, we had gone online. Everything was 100% online. And being a stuttering preacher and going online, you feel exposed. Like I just remember, like thinking everyone was going to think I was a fraud and feeling this weight of like John, like no one's going to like you. They're going to see how you talk. Everyone, I mean, just the spiral you have in your mind. Crazy thoughts. And I just remember pouring these out and sharing with this counselor how I felt like a, you know, just felt like, you know, just felt like an imposter. And it was so hard for me to record a sermon on a, to a, to a friggin' camera. It's like, I hate this. And I would just, it would like, I, I, I struggled to get words out. And I just remember him calling out the shame. And then he said this, John, I want you to do this practice. He said, I want you to find the happiest picture of Jesus you can find. And I want you to put it right under the camera. So you can know when Jesus looks at you, he's proud of you. That when, because your image of Jesus is one of him scolding and one of him devaluing and one of him joining in with all these people in your head that are putting you down. He said, I need you to, he said, I need you to change your picture of Jesus. Deep down, that inner how you think Jesus thinks about you. How does Jesus look at you? And I thought this was the dumbest, cheesiest thing I had ever heard in my life. Find a happy picture of Jesus and tape it under the camera. Okay. I'm a man. I know I'm weak, and I just cried before you, but I'm a man. So I went online and found the happiest picture of Jesus that I could find. (laughs) Now, before y'all judge this, I know Jesus wasn't white. I know he was Middle Eastern. I know this looks like beauty pageant Jesus. His hair is combed. His hair is blow-dried. Ain't got nothing wrong with his teeth, even though they have dental care. Back in the day, like... I, I know this probably wasn't how Jesus looked, so don't judge me, okay? But just remember, like, when, when I saw this, it, it, was, it was multicolored. So I printed this joint out, put it under the camera, and it was cheesy. But, man, it started to do something. Because I had never known how I had actually deep down viewed Jesus looking at me. Because one of the byproducts of sin and one of the byproducts of of the fall, and this is what happened. Adam and Eve, after they sinned, they covered themselves up with leaves. Why? Because they had shame. They started to notice things about them that were imperfections. They started to cover themselves. And one of the things Jesus wants to rip off of you and strip off of you is how you ultimately see him seeing you and what you think about you and have it switch to see Jesus is proud of you. This is not some self-help Jesus stuff that I'm trying to get into and Jesus thinks you're a snowflake and there's no one like you. You know, the whole worldly you know stuff this is ultimately what the good news of the gospel is is that when you have an identity shifted from a sinner to a saint from abandoned to adopted by God what happens is he changes the the gaze changes in how he looks at you and this is the gaze you have of Jesus looking at you as his follower as his son as his daughter and it has been years to shift the view inside of me that I no longer define myself by many times how I talk. I don't define myself by many of the dumb things I do. By God's grace, I'm learning to differentiate between what I do and who God says I am. And as you start to receive more of who God says you are, you actually become more focused on his goodness than your badness. And it shifts, and then what that will do is your identity will actually start to shift into in what you do, so now your change isn't coming from wanting to earn the approval of God. Your change is coming from knowing He's already approved you. Amen, amen. Then you have a want to. Hebrews chapter 12 says this is fixing our eyes on Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Amen. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our, ch- of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, and here's what I want you to get. Scorning it's what? Shame. Shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you know what Jesus did when he went on the cross and just didn't die for you, but died as you? He scorned the shame. He scorned, he ripped away, he ripped off. He gave you the ability to rip off the barrier and the weight of defining yourself by what you do. And gave you the ability to now see yourself through what Jesus did. Here's the thing, Jesus embraced shame so you didn't have to. Jesus embraced shame so you didn't have to. And because of this, Jesus invites you. And if I could have a keyboard come up, we're, we're gonna close. Jesus embraced shame so you didn't have to. So here's the thing, Jesus invites you to see more of his goodness and less, and less of your badness. I just wanna remind you of who you are in Christ. I believe one of the most powerful things we can do is to remind ourselves daily of who God has now made us in Christ. The reason you struggle with what you do is because you struggle with knowing who you are. I believe that's one of the core problems, the the core issues we face, and why shame has a garden to grow in is because we haven't changed the soil. Here's just some of the things that in Christ, Jesus says you are. First off, you've been justified. These are all scriptures. I mean, this, this isn't just me making this up. This is what the word of God says about you. You have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. You've been redeemed and forgiven of all your sins. You are complete in Christ and have all you need. You are a child of God. You are Jesus's friend. You're an heir of God and joint heir with Christ. You are, uh, you are united with the Lord and one in him in spirit. You are saved by grace, not your works. So you have nothing to boast about. These are just a few of the promises and the things that God says about you. And what I believe God is saying to step into this better in 2024, of being at his feet, of making it not just a moment in the service or in your prayer closet, but actually being something that becomes a reality of your life, no matter where you are, is gonna be taking away these barriers of shame, taking away these barriers of how we've defined success, taking away these barriers of perfectionism, taking away these barriers of not having a holy curiosity. And he's inviting us in to something better. But y'all, let's deal with the barriers. Here's the final, final thing, Lifehouse. Let's receive Jesus's invitation to release these barriers and walk in what is better, being with him. Would you stand up with me today? Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.